0: Welcome to the Encore, I'm Chris McCoy, along with my erstwhile producer and my wonderful niece, Gabby. Hello. Yeah, and we were talking about doing adventurous things, you know, things that uh, we've either done purposely or (laughs) accidentally, which (laughs) has happened, I guess people have done adventurous things accidentally, Um, or maybe something you've done for work, which is something that I've done and never really sought out. I was asked to do as part of my job. And I'll talk about that a little bit later. This all kinds of ties in with people having bucket lists, right, Gab?
1: Yeah. Had, so we, we in did... preparation for today's segment, I was looking up some studies, some information about bucket lists and what we prioritize based on our generation, our race, our gender, our marital status, which was something that was really surprising to me. I didn't realize that people who were single and people who are divorced might have such a, a varying bucket list because I guess I never really considered that as a factor of what I have on my own.
0: Well, one of the things that uh, I think a lot of single people have on their bucket list is to fall in love. You know, I mean, just yeah. a very basic thing like that, which is, you know, talk about adventurous. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, is, <laughs> you know, that is right with all kinds of uh, unforeseen circumstances and <laughs> outcomes and things like that. There's no doubt about that You know, basically, it's all about stimulating the reward center of the brain with a good old fashioned dose of dopamine. Uh, and, you know, that's why people look to do adventurous things. And when looking up, like you said, you were looking up uh, bucket lists that people have made, some of them are, are very tame. You know, extremely like seeing the northern lights. That could increase your heart rate, but for an entirely different reason. What else did I see? A uh, uh, wine tour of Napa Valley. I was with- going to
1: say, I saw one that I thought you and, and I have both crossed off our bucket lists already. So,
0: exactly. Um, and I never knew that was on my bucket list. But when I got to California, <laughs> I thought, well, I've got to do this. But it never really was something that I sought out. I would never, ever, ever jump out of a perfectly good airplane. I don't care who wants me to jump out. And I've been asked to do that over the course of the years. Maybe a dozen times by different people. No. Wow,
1: people are asking you to, to jump out of planes. I mean, yes. I, I also would never jump out of a plane. If I'm jumping out of a plane, there's probably a problem. So... <laughs>
0: Well, that's the thing. You know, I I'll go look if you need company, if you need moral support, I'll go with you when you jump out of the airplane. But I will not jump out with you. I will land with the airplane and then greet you safely on the ground. (laughs) And they say, well, what about tandem jumping? No, I don't. (laughs) I don't care. It's just, you know, the chute might not open even if you're strapped to somebody who knows what they're doing. That these are the kinds of things that I think of. I, I would absolutely never, ever do that. But I did do something that I never thought of and never really wanted to do. Maybe a dozen years ago when I was working in New Brunswick doing the morning show, I was approached to do a promotion for the folks of Pocono Raceway. They were giving away these packages for, I think maybe it was Father's Day or something. They asked us to come up to Pocono Raceway and actually drive a Sprint Cup car for like wow. 10 laps. Around what they call the terrible triangle, which is what they've sort of nicknamed uh, that place up there in the Poconos, because it has three curves instead of the usual oval two. So you've got three curves to navigate. So what they did was they asked radio people to come up to do it so that we would talk about it on the air. And then we could sell these certificates, these gift certificates, give dad or give your brother or give your sister or your mother an opportunity of a lifetime. So we went up, my producer and I went up, Jason Lee, and we went up there and just the place is immense. It is so much bigger than I thought it would be because I had, I'm not a NASCAR fan either, but it was just over, almost overwhelming the size of the venue. And then they, they took us all, there was about 12 of us and they took us and put us in a van, like a 15 passenger van. And they drove out onto the track, and they as we were all in this van driving around the terrible triangle of (laughs) Pocono Raceway, they're saying, "Okay, now when you get to this point, you want to be up on the curve, and then as you come out of it, you want to be down." And it was like, "Okay." (laughs) And the other thing is that I didn't realize is the track goes like this. As it goes around a curve, it goes like this. So as you enter the curve, you want to be on the top. And as you're coming out of the curve, you want to be down toward the bottom. Now, keep in mind, you're going almost 200 miles an hour while you're doing this. So anyway, they, they gave us the option. They said that because all these cars were uh, standard transmissions, they said, anyone here who doesn't know how to drive a stick, you can drive with one of our professional drivers in the driver's seat. I didn't even know they had it. A- like a passenger seat uh, in these things, but they do. And my producer wanted to do it, but he couldn't drive a stick. And he wasn't allowed to go with me because I'm not a professional driver. Mm. So he drove with a professional driver, which I think his ordeal was even scarier than mine. (laughs) Because this guy was doing a little bit over 200 miles around the track, miles an hour. I only got up to 180. I mean, that was it for me. And I was like white knuckle, on the steering wheel the whole time. And, you know, you're strapped in, you can't move your head. Your helmet is strapped into the back. Actually, I think the scariest part of it was that there were 11 other people on the track who were driving as fast as I was Oh man! for the very first time in our lives. (laughs) And when I think back, we actually did this and we didn't have to sign any kind of waiver.
1: (laughs) What could go wrong?
0: (laughs) What could go wrong at 180, 200 miles an hour? Uh, going around a track like that for the first time. Well, I made it and I lived to talk about it, but it's not something I would like to do again. I didn't get out of the car and think, man, that was so cool. What? I can't wait to do it again. I thought Shh, that was pretty cool. I'm never doing that again. Yeah. <laughs> How about you? Do you ever do anything like that?
1: One of the times we went out to California, I convinced my family to sign up for an afternoon of zip lining. Now we were going to be able to do it in the redwood forest. And we thought it was going to be really cool to kind of see the scenery as we went. And I remember being surprised that I was so gung ho about it because I don't really like heights. I'm not, I'm not afraid of them. I can do them, but I'd rather be on the ground. So we, the day comes and we get there and we climb up and we go on the first one, which was like pretty, not that far off the ground. And it was fine. And I thought, okay, you know, if that's all it is, that's great. I'm, this is going to be a lot of fun. And then it just kept getting taller and taller and the trees that we were standing on because they had a circle deck is like the best way I could describe it, um, around the trunk of the tree for all of us to stand and we were all strapped in and everything. So it was, it was completely safe, but the trees would start to shake a little bit just because with all that weight on there and you know, all the, the different shifting around on the deck, it became a little less stable than I was hoping. And the guide looked at me and said, well, if you don't want to look down because it's making you nervous, just hug the trunk of the tree. And before the words had even completely left his mouth, I was pretty much glued to that tree trunk, holding on for dear life. (laughs) The nice thing was, though, when we did get done the entire thing, I remember looking back and being like, I would probably do that again, but I just can't do it again right now. I need to find my, my legs back on the ground for a while. It was, it was really cool. And it, the views ended up being just as fun and beautiful as we thought that they were going to be. But yeah, I think for the most part, if there's some Heights involved, I try to spread those out so that I can uh, tackle them one at a time.
0: Me too. Absolutely. My wife and I did that in St. Lucia when we were there and it was such a kick. It was really, I, I'm not crazy about Heights either, obviously, but uh, it was just so cool. Just like zipping down over the canopy and, going from like station to station, you know, hopping onto those little platforms that you're talking about. Uh, but when we did it, it was, we were the only two on the platforms at any given time, aside from the assistant there who helped us like sort of get on it and, you know, pushed us off of it.
1: Oh, so, we, yeah, we were in a group of like 10 plus the two guides. So there was, there's a lot of people on the, on those platforms.
0: Yeah. yeah zip lining can be fun. Um, as, as long as you don't look down all the time. <laughs> I guess it's fun, but how about running with the bulls in Pamplona, Spain? I mean, you know, have you ever, there's something else I just don't get, you know? I mean, really, what are the chances of being gored by a bull? Even if it's one time out of a hundred, that's way too much for me. I I tend to trip a lot when I'm running, especially if I'm, you know, scared for my life. Speaking of things that uh, increase your heart rate in the next segment, I'm going to be talking with, with three people. Just can't wait to get at me. They are champing at the bit. They're my two brothers and my sister, and I'll talk to them next on the Encore. Okay, in the first episode, I'll introduce you to my two daughters and their husbands. And now I want to continue along the family theme here. It's my siblings today. My brother, Fran, John, and my sister, Marianne. Hi, guys. Good to see all of you.
2: Hello. Very good to see you, hey. too. Well, hail, hail. The McCoys are all here.
0: <laughs> <laughs> the thing about us is we have a, kind of an interesting beginning. We all grew up in what was a three-bedroom rancher in Berlin, New Jersey. It was kind of like a Levittown-like development of houses. Every house was exactly the same. You walked in the front door, and it was either turned to the left or turned to the right, but each house had three bedrooms, a kitchen, a living room, and that was it. And a bathroom, of course. <laughs> One bathroom with with the four of us and two adults. How did that ever work out anyway?
3: Dad was usually banging on the door saying, take a Navy shower, put <laughs> her off, soak yourself down, turn it back on, rinse yourself off and get out. <laughs>
2: yeah, And because of the septic system, we couldn't stay in there very long anyway. So it was a, it was a, a good conveyor line, you know, just moving in and out
0: that the the, the uh, septic system is a is another episode in itself.
2: True. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs>
0: yeah. Anyway, we'll get to that one of these days. We we really had the the genuine baby boom experience, I think, uh, the four of us growing up. John, you came a lot you came sort of later. We moved into the house in Berlin when I was I think about a year old and and then Fran was born shortly thereafter. Do I have the timeline right on that, Fran, do you remember?
4: Yes. Yes, that's right moving from Philadelphia to Berlin Estates for, you know, a brand new home at that time.
0: Mm-hmm. Exactly.
4: With a low cost of $8,800, yep. I recall.
0: <laughs> That's yeah. right. You could get yeah. a three-bedroom, one-bathroom house for 8800 bucks <laughs> back in the day. Not bad. I think our parents did well.
4: With uh, a full, full estate of uh, one-eighth of an acre of property, <laughs> yes. which was a, a great deal of property coming from a row home in the city for them.
0: Exactly. And as I mentioned, it was sort of the baby boom experience that we all all of the the, the parents, the people, the adults moved into these houses because it was a brand new development post World War II baby boom. Uh, And so that meant that we had lots of kids in the neighborhood our age, which was really a good experience for all of us, I think, anyway, because we had uh, lots to do. And this was, of course. In the days before being able to get online and spend your entire day in the house on computer, or even in front of a television set for that matter, because who wanted to watch soap operas with mom? Nobody, mm.
4: right? That's, Not yeah. even mom, I don't think. Yeah. But like we also the hourglass. So goes the days of our lives. That's
3: great. Right?
0: But we also yep. had the another experience that most most of our friends didn't have, and that was we had our maternal grandparents move into the house right next door to us. Growing up, we had mom and dad, and as we called them, nanny and pop up. And <laughs> and I, this is kind of a sore spot because I know that the three of you all still resent me because I was the firstborn and therefore the favorite grandchild.
2: Of you uh, are true. That is you true are, not only no, that, that's not why we resent you. <laughs>
3: no. I was my favorite granddaughter, because I was the first. Nan used to tell me, you know, you're my favorite, but don't tell anybody. You were the favorite grandson.
4: Yeah, well, that was proven by uh, <laughs> Nan <laughs> making your favorite uh, birthday cake and declining <laughs> me for the next 27 years <laughs> to reproduce that cake. That's your brother's cake. You can't, I can't make that for you. So Isn't I had the standard German, German chocolate or Jewish apple cake
2: for my birthday cake.
0: I just opened up a can of worms there. I'm sorry,
3: guys. Yeah, I'm going
2: to be signing off right about now. Actually, you are the favorite, but we all appreciate The fact that you were the favorite. So, you know, don't worry we, about
3: it. We accepted it and we moved on.
0: Yes. <laughs> there are so many memories of uh, 81 Harker Avenue that I have, most of them good. You know, they weren't always good, just like most families, but we had in our family we had health issues with uh, with mom in particular. Mom had a tumor on her spine and eventually that put her in a wheelchair and m- we were all Young, uh, the three of us were teenagers. John was just a little kid. We were trying to figure out exactly when that was uh, before we got on here. But uh, suffice it to say that for most of our lives, a mom was in a wheelchair. Yep. Which you know presented a whole list of uh, of other issues, and you know thank God that the grandparents were right next door because that really helped out. Yeah,
3: it sometimes was a thorn in mom's side, but for the most sometimes, <laughs> yeah. But, you know, I have some, I have a very clear memory of something that happened one night and just to kind of let people know what, give them a peek into what our lives were like as young people. I remember one time mom woke me up because dad worked nights. She needed to use the, the commode. I got her up. I don't know if you guys remember this. I got her up and because of her condition, she was still able to walk one direction. So I got her up she got on the commode, got her off. Now I'm probably, I don't know. I might've been, you know, I was young. I might've been in like, I don't even know how old, 13, maybe 12. And, um, she started to walk around to get back into the bed and she couldn't go any further. So I had to wake all three of you up and we put our heads together and got a kitchen chair and had her sit in it. And we turned the chair and we said, okay. You get an arm, you get an arm, you get a leg, and I'll get a leg. And mom was like, no, 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 you're going to drop me. And we're like, no, that's okay. This is because we all had to get up for school in the morning. So we actually did it. We we each took an arm and a leg, and we got her back in bed. I don't know if you guys have that memory, but I do. And I thought, what kids, and John, you probably were, I don't know, maybe eight. At the time. So that wasn't, you know, so I can understand now mom's trepidation, as we could say, at having her four children pick her up and put her back in bed. So I don't know if anybody has that memory, but. I don't know why she
2: was concerned about it, because I do remember right before we picked her up and put her in the bed, we all hoisted the chair over our heads and danced (laughs) around the room. (laughs) <laughs> to some uh, to some imaginary music, so I, I don't know why she would be concerned about us just
4: checking
3: her, uh, foot in her face. No, yes, yeah, she was very worried. I remember that. So that was an interest. That was interesting.
4: But but through it all, she was a trooper. I mean, it was very difficult to put ourselves in her place when we were young kids to have the limitations that she had. Essentially, eventually being non-functional from her neck down, and that was always a worry of being dropped or falling. And uh, when you think back about it, you know, she really did an excellent job of of taking care of us from her wheelchair. And uh, she really did an excellent job and taught me a lot about life from how she handled that disability.
3: Yeah, she was definitely, I mean, she rarely complained. And when she did, you knew she was in a lot of pain. She did. And she always took care of us one way or the other. She got it done.
4: Yeah, that's true. Although most of it was uh, verbal orders the second you walked in from school. You know? <laughs> uh, nobody else, I, I often said to my friends, you know, Gerard Rodenheiser, Gary Miller, uh, you know, of course, David Hopalong Cassidy, Redzie Dixon and Doc Dixon <laughs> uh, and the Martin twins.
3: <laughs> I think and Doc were ever in our house. <laughs>
4: <laughs> but nevertheless, I often said to my friends that, you know, it takes your mom all day to do what we can do in an hour after school. Because if you remember, it was like a machine. We came in, start the washer, you know, start the dinner, clean things. It was, uh, And mom had the opportunity to sit there and think all day and wait. And she would barrage us with requests so that she didn't forget them. And after a while, it became just automatic. You came in and did your portion of whatever got through the day and evening. The Sears catalog was her saving grace because uh, with all the uh, limitations that she had, she was still able to get most things done through the Sears catalog, which you're I right. think is amazing as I look back on it,
2: you know, you're right. That Ness and age green stamps too. She did a lot. So <laughs> let me, let me just say two quick things about mom. She never lost her sense of humor. First of all, she, uh, I, I remember specifically when one time when she fell out of her wheelchair and uh, one of the larger, more rotund, whose name I won't mention here, uh, local policemen came to the house because they were called in uh, she looked up at him from the floor and said, where do you buy your belts? I need a belt big enough to hold me into the chair. And I just can't find one big enough. So, I mean, I thought that was a and good that
3: was And that was while she was still laying on the floor looking down yes. at, up yeah. at him. I'm, like, I'm surprised he didn't take a size 14 shoe and stick it right with her face at that
2: point. Now, his, his feet, I don't think, were that big, Merit It was his waist. That's all.
3: Okay.
2: I think it was all that good
4: training at OLMC that allowed him to... Uh, Act in
2: the right way. Yeah, there you, go. yeah. <laughs> there yes. you
0: go. Yeah. One of the things that uh, I remember, Mary, you and I talking about quite a few times uh, over uh, the years was that it was just the three of us: Fran, me, and you. Mm-hmm. And then John came along. Sort of, I don't know whether it was unexpected, whether he was a mistake, a happy mistake, of <laughs> course.
2: Uh, I'm not. My quite birth true. certificate says "oops." By the way, just so you know.
3: <laughs>
0: But I remember that Marianne, you got mad when when I was born.
3: Well, let me tell you. Okay. See, I was five, we're five years apart. So I was five and I remember being family down the street with 12 kids. And I remember (laughs) I, at my age thought that mom and dad could choose whatever sex they wanted the child to be. And when he was born, I was not happy. And I actually took a hammer to the the cabinets when Nan was out hanging wash. In the kitchen. In the kitchen and beat the cabinets with a hammer. And when mom brought it, well, I don't know how I survived that, number one. But then when mom brought him home, I was outside. And I can still remember her standing at the front door saying, come in and see your little brother. And I was like, no, I'm not coming in. I don't want to see him. So the only time that I finally you know, decided that I loved him was when, um, I had a dream that Fran accidentally (laughs) straggled to death. That
2: was just a week ago. So we know now that they
3: told you all this time. I'm telling you, I had that dream. It's still so vivid in my mind, but I remember that. And like it was yesterday. And then I ran to the crib and he was alive and I was like, okay, I guess, we'll, I guess I'll, I'll learn.
4: (laughs) Meanwhile, you were the one who was taking a hammer to the kitchen. Um, (laughs) And I just have a question there. Was that before or after the bologna on the wall? I you, yeah.
3: I, say that. I think that was after because they had just wallpapered the, the living room. And I just was curious to see if bologna would stick to the wall. And I must tell you, it does. But it also leaves a very nice round grease. Stain yeah. All wallpaper.
0: That was the old beef bologna. That was yeah, because it was yeah. a little oilier. <laughs> than Yeah. yeah. And, but,
3: Dad was all gone. beef. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, so that's my that's my um things that I did. Yes.
0: You know that yeah. baloney that baloney stain stayed on because they had just wallpapered the <laughs> I, living room. That that baloney stain was there through most of our teenage years.
3: I could you still know, remember where you- I put it. That's the thing. I I don't know. I was curious. I thought this was about Chris,
0: not about me. No, no, no. It's about all of us, really. Oh. You know, uh, come on, really.
3: I don't know that you guys, I could still in my mind, go through the entire block and know who lived where.
4: Of course, because that was our world back then.
3: Yeah, it was like the wonder years.
0: Do you remember? <clears throat> excuse me. John doesn't remember this. I don't think, but the three of us do uh, right next door to us, aside from our grandparents on the other side was a dentist. Remember? Yes, a dentist yes. who had an office right there in the house.
3: Wait, yeah. who was that? Carmen's husband?
0: Dr. Barrett.
2: Remember Dr. Dr. Barrett? So- and later on, by the way, just to just to elaborate on that, and I think you you three don't remember this because you were all out of the house by this point, but we had a motorcycle gang moved into that <laughs> house next door to us. I don't know if you remember that. No, for real? Oh, the warlocks. Lived no. there. No. Yes, they did. They lived there and they used to come up and there would be like 25 Harleys parked across the front of the, the property. And you know, Mrs. Miller. out and offer them a beer, you know, it
3: was <laughs> Mrs. Miller was rolling over in her grave. They were probably ruining her beautiful lawn. She, yeah, they, well, yeah, yeah, it was, but they didn't live there
2: long. They were there about a year or so, but they, yeah, there was a that oh. gang that lived there for a while. I'm hmm. sorry. I missed that. that
3: yeah. is- <laughs> I'm not.
2: I remember those yeah. summer nights with all the Harleys parked out there. <laughs> uh,
3: yeah. Did they, they sit are. out in Pop's garage in, in uh, chairs? In Did they? Uh, yeah. Did they join yeah. with the banjo and, you know, the, the comb with the, plastic wrap on it or the
4: was. (laughs) you know that's funny that you say that because i you know one of my strongest memories was sitting in front of the garage every night nan would make sun tea on her back step throughout the day and make some kind of cake and the neighbors coming over kind of like the stepford families when the neighborhood street lights came on but i i do remember pop teaching michael and i his his number one love which was the banjo and nothing mm-hmm. quite like a neighborhood sing-along in the summer with Pop and uh, Chris and I playing Wayne Newton's uh, I <laughs> Want Some Red Roses for a Blue Lady. And everyone's singing along. Uh, that just, you know, that gives away the timeline. But we had some pretty good times there singing in the backyard with the neighbors.
3: We did. And do you remember we used to sit on the roof on Friday nights and watch the uh, fireworks from Berlin Park?
4: Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. Those
3: That's were the days today, just that we'll never understand how simple things were, but how good they were.
4: That is well, so know, true. That yeah. is so true. I yeah. often think that, uh, thank goodness, we don't have neighbors like us because the mod sound was always practicing in that <laughs> and pop's garage and our volumes were always very high up. And I can't imagine as I look back how all the neighbors tolerated that.
0: And you know what, Fran, I remember, the mod sound, by the way, was yeah. our little garage band. One of uh, one of the iterations of our garage band that we had over the years. But I remember the neighbors coming at down at the end of the driveway, oh yeah, and just like watching and listening. I remember cars stopping on Harker Avenue, right? Uh, <laughs> yeah. Thinking, God, what the hell is going on in there? You know, Pop what- <laughs>
3: would chase the away. It
4: would come by on their bicycles. Remember. <laughs> Oh yeah, That was our biggest
2: audience. (laughs) I think that band ended when the mosquito spraying truck pulled up and backed into the driveway and sprayed it into the garage while you were playing. Right. Isn't that (laughs) how it all
3: ended?
0: Hey, we had our priority street.
2: (laughs) I
3: remember everybody riding their bikes behind that mosquito truck. It's a wonder we're all still here.
4: (laughs) Everyone did it. It's everyone's life experience at that time. No matter what town you lived in, when the mosquito truck came through, you were required to get on your bike as quickly as you could and ride through that that plume <laughs> of um,
3: whatever uh, it
4: was. Yeah, DDT or whatever it was.
0: And the thing was, is I don't ever remember the parents suggesting that we not do that. You know, it was like, <laughs> like, "Oh, let them go. They're young. Let them go. They're having fun."
4: I remember the town would announce when they were doing it, and I thought there was like an advisory to close your windows down for that time period you know, to be safe. But then every kid in the neighborhood was riding their bike directly behind the truck as it's free.
2: Back to the band, though. So, Chris, you played drums, right? Yeah. And Fran, you were on guitar, is that correct?
4: Yes. Mm-hmm. Who was the yes. bass player? Uh, that would be a Double B, right?
3: <laughs> yeah. Frank and Gerard, weren't they in it, too?
4: Well, yeah, Frank was in it. right. Yeah. We
0: didn't have a, a, a singer. We didn't have a vocalist. None of us could sing. So Frank was the lead guitar player, and he would play all of the notes that the, sing, that the vocal would be on guitar.
4: I told the my sound morphed, uh, morphed into uh, the Sartreuse Lemonade Stand Band. I remember and, that. And then we had some, uh, and I still have one of our business cards. Oh, the time. And there was a, uh, the name of a gene on the card and I can't recall who Gene was to save my life. So he was probably a short-term member of the band just to get some business cards. He could pass out to his friends and people at school. I do
0: remember Gene. I think he signed a one day contract as a, as a lead <laughs> singer, but never showed up. And oh, uh, was that what happened? Yeah. yeah. And of course we, uh, We litigated that for, uh, for, for years afterwards. Uh,
2: Yeah. I I know we're not supposed to mention last names, but it was Gene Simmons. Squad, you guys can say it. Yeah.
4: Yeah. That's before makeup was a thing for men.
3: And remember Uncle Bob used to get you guys little gigs at like ridiculous places, didn't he?
4: When uh, Chris McCoy wanted to be his uh, dream of being a radio personality our uncle was involved in the Lions Club, as I recall, and he was always looking for work for us out of the kindness of his heart, and one of the great places that he got us to work, and I was at that time an assistant, or, you know, I'm not sure what my role was, but he would take us to Ancora Psychiatric Hospital, (laughs) where we, and literally drop us off at the curb with a you know, a box full of records and all the things that we needed. And we would cart it into their gymnasium and we would put on a dance and the people were happy to dance, whatever Chris and I played. But the most entertaining part about that was when we would take a break, we would go down to the cafeteria underneath. Do you remember that on the bottom floor? Of course we were young. We were probably what 12 and 13 or maybe around that age. Mm -hmm. And it was very interesting because we weren't sure what to expect. And we really had no adult supervision other than the, the people who worked at the psychiatric hospital. And then we would pack up our gear, as I recall, take it back out to the curb. Uncle Bob would pull up, we'd put it in his car and go. So that was our first Lions Club experience and first, for Chris McCoy's experience, as I recall, first uh, dance party that he threw.
0: Fran, we also played there as the band. Do you remember that?
4: Oh, yeah. Yes, I yeah. do.
0: I think we had maybe a dozen songs
4: that's being and, generous yes yeah we,
0: <laughs> we were there for two hours so at, at some point the song started to recycle <laughs> right
2: yeah About a half an hour in actually that's true.
0: Until,
4: <laughs> until we until we developed our lone hit which was the anatomy of a hero <laughs> But that wasn't a dancing song. That was more of, of an Eric Burden and the Animal Sky Pilot takeoff. <laughs> yeah. Right? That's
0: exactly what that was. We just right. totally ripped off Sky Pilot part one and two.
3: Yeah. <laughs> now, do you remember uh, Mr. Terrific? I think that's what it was when you guys would do oh, yeah. movies with John... John yes.
2: Arn.
3: Arn. Yeah. and wasn't he like Mr. Terrific? Because he was like this little skinny, like like there was like Wally Cox kind of guy.
4: Yeah,
0: he kind of looked like Wally Cox.
4: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, he would he would swallow a candy coated Easter egg as his source of power when he became <laughs> Mr. Terrific. <laughs> That's
0: right. Plus, he he was the one that had the uh, Super Eight camera that yes. we used to make these little skits and movies.
4: where he had to be the star of the show.
2: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's
0: the way it works, <laughs> there, like, there is one character that we created. Uh, it was sort of a, <laughs> a science fiction monster type of hybrid that starred Frank Kaiser, <laughs> but it was the Belcher. You remember that, Frank? Yes, oh, yeah. <laughs> Frank oh. had the, the rare talent at the time of being able to swallow air and belch <laughs> at will. And when he belched, it sounded like he'd been drinking beer all afternoon. I mean, it was this long, low, (laughs) rumbling.
4: (laughs) (laughs) There were good times. Uh,
3: I do remember them. So I guess John R. kept them. Like, you guys don't have them anymore. Like, nobody. I have
2: them. Oh, you do? I have the Super Eight movies. I don't know how many I have of what you did, but I know that uh, they wound up in my possession. I still have them
4: you digitize them and we could have a a gathering some night to watch them?
2: It will only
4: take 12 minutes.
0: I I see a Netflix special in in (laughs) all of this.
3: Now, if only
2: we could remember Gene's last name, because I think he made an appearance in one of
3: them. You were a bit out of control as a kid.
2: I needed to be. I couldn't get attention. The three of you were hogging it all up.
0: John was legendary at Our Lady of Mount Carmel grade school (laughs) in July. Fran, what? Fran, could you tell that story? You were actually there. Yeah. I had moved on to high school already.
4: Yeah, I was in I was in seventh or eighth grade, and John did not want to go to school and refused to get on the school bus. And Sister Rosaria had, uh, who was our, the first grade teacher at our school, had a reputation that spread among every Catholic kid in the whole community, and it was fear. <laughs> John had heard everyone speak of this for his whole. You know his whole life up to this point, beginning first grade, and when John uh, was quite frightened by uh, Sister Rosaria, and uh, to to make the story short, in her room John was a little bit frightened, and as I recall, in his uh, fear he kicked Sister Rosaria in the shin, which no one had ever done, and every and every Catholic in the community figured he was going to go to limbo at the very least. But at any rate, so I got a a knock on the door in my classroom to come down and and assist uh, Sister Rosaria with my brother. And when the person who came to the door to relay this message to our teacher uh, just said a little bit in a louder voice than they should have, his brother just kicked Sister Rosaria. And although the eighth grade uh, room was on the second floor, the opposite end of the building from the first grade room, I think it took me about 20 minutes to get there just because of fear. I figured he was too little to hit, so she would probably take it out on me. But uh, it was quite the thing. And actually, she took it very well, because I did ask her about that, you know, 30 years later. And she just thought that was a funny episode in her career, that someone had the audacity to kick her.
2: Fran has that mostly correct, except it was about the third day of school, and I got on the bus... And I was a little out of control because I did not want to go. I had no interest in being in Sister Rosaria's class and to the, about the area of North Rose Lane and South Rose Lane. And uh, our bus safety was one Gary M. And he
3: came
2: back, he came back to where I was in the bus because I was making quite a stink about not wanting to go. And I slugged him in the head with my metal lunchbox. (laughs) And the bus driver stopped the bus and threw me off and, also threw Fran off because he was an older brother and he had to walk me home and walk by walking <coughs> home. I mean, he had to smack me in the back of the head every three steps and, you know, do everything he could to make it obvious to me that I was making his life miserable. <laughs> so we drove to the school. Fran went to, to his classroom and I got drugged out of the car. I distinctly remember hanging on the both sides of the car. I got drugged out, taken into the classroom. And when the door opened and I got shoved in, I walked in, threw my lunchbox across the room, all the little uh, first graders ducked. Sister Rosaria grabbed me to try to calm me down. I kicked her in the shins and ran over to the windows, jumped up on the radiator and started banging on the window. And a little while later, Fred came down. He did an excellent job at calming me down, got me calmed down. I was sent down to Mother Superior, though, uh, and stood outside of her office and had to try to catch the ruler, which she was always very bad at missing your head and then blaming you. So you had to to try to catch the ruler to make sure that you got hit properly and she wouldn't swing it again uh, so I, that, that's kind of how that story went
4: I'm sorry it was a cross between uh, an episode of cops in the parking lot of the school and then it became the graduate when you got inside you know yeah. standing up on the windowsill banging on the windows so
3: you know what I, I, I distinctly remember looking out my classroom window one time and aunt margie was doing the same thing Paul pulling him trying to pull him out of the back seat and he was doing the same thing that you he was holding on to both both sides you know trying to keep himself in so sister rosaria obviously she had that reputation with everyone i was fortunate when i went to first grade i had mrs carrie who I was not, obviously, I never had Sister Rosaria, so I was one of the lucky ones.
0: Well, you have to remember these were uh, these were Irish nuns who were just over from Ireland, and most of them, although we thought they were ancient, were probably in their 20s, maybe yep. 30s at most at the time, mm-hmm. and uh, they had that Irish sort of discipline, you bold, brazen article, you, you know, all of that <laughs> yeah. going on, and We, as American kids, I I don't think we were. First of all, the Irish brogue was scary enough, but back then the nuns wore that very severe looking habit where all you could see was their face and part of their forehead. Everything else was covered up, and they were pretty scary visually. And then you know, you realized you had someone like Sister Rosario, (laughs) you know, who later on,
4: later on, when her hair was exposed, it made perfect sense that it was fiery red. Yep. Yep. I like, exactly. never saw it up to that time.
2: Yeah, yeah. But, and, was, and remember, Sister Rosaria had that that uh, <clears throat> that bum little digit that was—I yeah. don't know if oh, it had yeah. been broken.
3: Everybody printed all this. The, yeah. <laughs>
2: All the all the little first graders would bend their one finger down when they would when they would hold their hands together to pray because we thought that was how you were supposed to do it, because her one finger bent down. So yeah, that was uh, and, and plus, I mean, in fairness to the nuns, everything you said, Chris, was true, but in fairness to the nuns, if I remember those classes were 50, 60 kid children large. I mean, they weren't they weren't small classes that they had to deal with. As one person, you know, Yeah, one poorly trained person. Let
4: me add that to the list there, all right? Mom sent Chris and I one summer to scrape and paint the convent. Do you recall (laughs) that? Yeah, I do. (laughs) Yeah, so mom sent us with our lunch bags over to the convent in the hottest days of the year. And when we were finally free, they had a wooden house. We had to scrape and sand and it had to be painted. And I remember, and you may remember the story, this may be too long, we walked in the front door, there was a a large vestibule with a a chapel to the left, and then there was the threshold of going into the home proper. And one of the nuns, who I don't recall, answered the door and said, we wanted to put our lunch in the refrigerator, she said, just put them back in, in the kitchen, it's right back there which I thought once we crossed that threshold, we'd spout wings and just fly back to the kitchen. <laughs> but nevertheless, they were, when we got into the kitchen, there were two refrigerators and we opened up the first one and it was top shelf to bottom shelf, front to back, nothing but beer. beer. You remember that? <laughs> yeah. and, and we opened up the refrigerator, put our lunches in. And when we went out, we went outside and we're scraping and, uh, you know in sanding the house and and Chris looks at me and said, "Did you see what I saw and I said yes and that was the end of the story we never talked about it again but <laughs> sister Rosaria later told me that was father Flynn's beer so sure. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> totally
0: <looking> for him <laughs>
2: When they were looking for people to come over and help them with that scraping and painting, what the flyer said, uh, what, lead-based paint for Jesus. Isn't that what it said? Isn't that how they, how they put the flyer out to get people?
4: Well, if you remember, all the nuns would ride their English racers to our house and yep. somehow beat the bus home. So we'd get off the bus in front of our house, and there would be a, a front lawn full of English racers. And every kid on the bus knew what that meant. You know, that, was, that was all of our teachers at our house.
3: I remember sister, you coming a lot. And I remember her riding her bike and her little, the, the veil was like flying in the wind behind her. But yeah, I sort was of
4: like, sort of like Sally Fields.
3: <laughs> kind of. Yeah. 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 Only She didn't fly just, you know, she rode a bike, but yeah. yeah.
0: Well, I, I got to say, it's uh, really been fun reminiscing with you guys. Uh, this is kind of what we do when we get together uh, anyway. Uh, so, <laughs> you know, for the most part. So I think that, uh, this was a, a, a real nice way to spend part of an episode of Beyond Core. What do you guys think? Any, any, anything else before we go? Anybody have anything else they want to add to this?
4: Yeah, I would First like to say, uh, you know, living next to our grandparents was a great blessing. I mean, we had Nan and Pop who were wonderful people, treated us wonderfully. And uh, Pop was, because of the, the way our life ran and our father worked overnight, Our grandfather became almost like our father and did everything with us. Just an all around good
3: guy that we learned a lot from. Absolutely. He was the best. He was the best. I have to agree
0: 100%. I certainly second that. Absolutely. You know, I remember so many, we had paper routes when we were kids, Fran and I, our grandfather, when it, when the weather was inclement at all, would you know, pack us up in the car with our papers and uh, he'd drive us around and we'd deliver the papers uh, from the car so that, of course, we wouldn't get wet and catch our death of cold. I mean, that's just the kind of caring uh, grandfather that he was. You know, he uh, wanted to shield us from yeah. whatever whatever every other paper boy had to deal with on those bad weather days.
3: Well, you know, I think I think that that Pop appreciated what we were going through as kids, that we had a lot of responsibility that was on our shoulders that most kids didn't have. So I think he tried to make things as easy for us as possible. So I can remember, and I don't know why, I don't know, Fran, if you were in the car at this point, but pop was, we were delivering papers. I wasn't, I was just in the car for some reason. And I remember it was and he got out and all of a sudden he disappeared. And we were like, and all you could see were his boots sticking up. Yeah. And oh yeah. Do you remember that? Yeah, and I do. So I we made him go to the the doctor, and I'll never forget. And I was with him for some reason I don't know. And when the doctor hit his knee, or before the doctor hit his knee, he like kicked his leg way out, and the doctor right. like, knock. and Pop was like, laughing. He thought it was funny, but we thought maybe he had a concussion because he fell and hit his head.
2: Yeah, yeah. he slipped on the ice. Yes. yeah i remember that He's, i was going to say that's the circle of life uh, in, in the end he had a he had a uh, he had a paper route
3: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, he, he didn't ride he it did. on his bike
2: but he drove it in his car yeah that, and, yes. you know,
3: i, I that's distinctly just, remember that do you i think I, I one time he was getting ready to give up the paper route and the man with him that was driving with him that was learning the rail was sitting in the passenger side and the man had one arm and that arm was hanging out the window. Well, when the guy went to toss the paper out, this German Shepherd came tearing around the back of, like, to the front of the house and went. And I yelled, and the guy got his arm and just in time, that gun because he only had one arm to begin with. But I'll never forget that. That was something that, I mean, Pop was like, it's a good thing you were paying attention. I was like, well, <laughs> you know, that dog yeah. was back towards that man. So it was interesting, but, you know.
2: Yeah.
4: I remember one more story that I I always think back very fondly of. And that's when uh, Pop and Dad took Chris and I fishing in the bay. Do you recall that?
0: (laughs) Summer's Point, yeah.
4: Yeah, it was one of those old wooden boats that have long since died with a, a little motor attached to the back, the four of us in there. And it was just such a great time to be out there. Uh, with the four men of the family at that time, so to speak, you know? Right. And Do you remember the fish that we most commonly caught that day? Of of course, I
0: I was horrified. I'd never seen something called a sea robin before. And then (laughs) there were blowfish too, right? Right.
4: Yeah. Yeah. It was an ugly day at the fishery. That's for sure. (laughs) But that was a great day. And that was very, that was very much representative of what our grandfather did for us. And he even was our band manager, which I mean took a lot of courage.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he was the Brian Epstein of his of uh, of his time. Yeah.
2: <laughs> well, I don't think you guys were quite as successful. Just just to let you. Know,
0: that's right? well, that's true. Yeah.
2: <laughs> just like Chris, I do have uh, I do recall. I mean, you know, I I missed all these stories apparently because I came along too too much later. But I do remember, I do remember going into the studio with you when you had your your early uh, your early jobs in the industry there, going down to Vineland. and uh, mm-hmm. was it Atlantic City or Ocean City? That's that was a smaller. Well,
0: I, actually, I worked in both. Yeah.
2: Oh, you did work in both. Okay, yeah. and then over to Philly. I remember being there in in those studios there, and I, I always enjoyed those experiences. And I do remember when you were uh, you were on TV. Now, what was that show? It was some kind of talent oh, show? Do you remember 80s. that? What was what was that show?
0: It was called You Write the Songs.
2: You Write the Songs. Yeah. I remember a, And unfortunately, was, you when that? you got home, you I said, unfortunately, after we all watched it, you got no love from the rest of the McCoys. I remember that we were all teasing you about your <laughs> Your are we on TV, which it was really nothing wrong with, but I do remember that we were all teasing you quite a bit about that.
0: Of course, what are siblings for? <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah. It was it was 100% jealousy. That's what it was. It yeah. was absolutely, but now those those were. Uh, I did I did just want to say I always enjoyed like when get, getting that experience of going into the into the studio with you and uh, and getting to see that aspect of it and you were probably happy for the company, especially in your earlier jobs when you were the only one in there because you were working a little bit later. But Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, it was always always a good time.
3: Mom was so proud that you were on the radio. She was so proud of that. That was like her claim to fame.
4: Right. Well, the rest of us were, you know, absolute failures in life too. It was sort of like...
0: (laughs) Well, I was the least talented and least, how can I say this? Successful of the, of the four of us. So thank you for, you know, sometimes all you have to do is just be on the radio and people think it's a big deal. It's really not. So,
2: you know, doing your on course. I think you're pretty successful. Yeah.
0: I got, you know, I got to say that for the four of us having really a good childhood mixed with, you know, some bittersweet in there, of course, but we had a good child. And, and, you know, for people who rode their bikes behind the uh, mosquito fog truck, And never wore seatbelts in cars when we were little. Just the fact that we're still here to talk about it is a minor miracle, don't you think? Yeah, I I
3: agree. I can remember Pop with his Corvair driving around the circle with the seat back, kept driving around the circle like maybe 10 times so we could slide from one side to the other. We thought it was great. And the car wasn't even that big, but like he would just do that for us. And I remember that. And I think now if you did that, you'd be pulled over and, you know, given a ticket because your kid's not in a car seat. For all the
4: struggles that we had as a family for health reasons, et cetera, I wouldn't have changed a thing about my life. The only thing I would would change if I could was to make uh, mom healthy.
3: Yes, I agree. I agree, 100. We had we did have a good. I mean, yeah, it wasn't always easy, but it was good.
4: Yep. Well, we I learned a it. lot, and you know, we got probably unlike most people, we got to to experience the innermost thoughts of our mother and how she viewed life. Taught us a lot of very valuable lessons as we took care of her. So we had a lot of alone time with her, which was really very valuable information.
2: She was. Who a- else gets to take their mom to the bathroom. I mean,
3: you know, go on, really.
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, you know, you
3: know what? what? She hated every bit of that, but you know what? She, I'm it, it sure was, she did. But you know yeah. what? I feel like it made us all better people because because of it.
0: Well, this was fun, guys. Thanks so much for uh, be willing, you know, willingness to do this.
4: Yeah, there were a lot of good stories and a lot of um, <laughs> wonderful times. And uh, I miss those old times, you know? Yeah. Yeah.
3: All right
0: you guys, we got to get out of here. Thank you so much for doing this. Love love to all of you and and your spouses as well.
2: All right. Thank you. Thank you Chris. Great time.